When I first got to Japan, uh, when I first got to my prefecture, sort of the state where I lived, they had a big, um, kind of like an orientation for all the new um, foreigners who were going to live in the country. And in order to help, you know, sort of help us adjust, they had speakers, people who'd been living in country for a while, to sort of, you know, help us under, ex- uh, understand some of the unexpected things that we should start expecting. And there's this one guy, he, his name was Paul, but he called himself Big P. Um, and he'd been in country for something like 25 years. And Big P uh, just loved Japan. I thought it was the, the coolest. And I gotta be honest with you, people who, who go native, as it were, not, they're not your normal Americans or Brits or whatever expats. People who, who really are able to live in Japan, they're a special sort. I want to suggest to you that maybe even they don't fit uh, in their home country and they have to go to a, a totally alien culture to really find their home of sorts. And so Big P was telling us, he was telling us what uh, we might expect. And so he, he talks about this, the, the very first time that he got in country, he was settling down, he was living, and he was getting used to the, the normal rhythms of life. So he would go to, um, I think it's, I can't remember the name, I think it was Tatsuya. That's the Japanese version of Blockbuster Video, which you guys remember Blockbuster Video doesn't exist anymore. Wow. But yeah, they had one there, and uh, I, I frequented, uh, they had a pretty good-sized foreign movie section, and they kept the, uh, the English-speaking movies in English with Japanese subtitles, so it was wonderful. I, I was still able to keep up on my media while I was there. But he, was, he would go to, to, to Tatsuya, and he would, he would look around. Uh, next door to that was the, um, the pizza place, so he'd go to, to Tatsuya, get his video, and, and, and then get his pizza. There, um, they put things like peanut butter on pizza, so it's a little different. A little different, but, you know, sort of familiar. He would go to uh, Beisha. Beisha is the Japanese version of, like, Walmart. And uh, in my village, we even had a super Beisha, like super Beisha. It's uh, like a super Walmart where you can get just about anything you want. So he would do that. And he started to notice this very strange thing. I mean, even more strange than being able to buy things like, you know, chicken heads at, at, at the store. Even more strange, he noticed that wherever he went, he, he kept seeing the same woman. And like, and like she would be sort of behind him, you know, like sort of peeking behind the aisle, kind of watching him. And he was like, what is going on? So he, he began to realize he had something of a, a tail, a, um, maybe she was spying on him. And he, so he was at a, a village festival, he tells the story of being at a village festival, and he made some mistake, like he didn't do the festival right. I mean, the first festival I went to, we carried like a, it's kind of like the Ark of the Covenant, we carried it through the village, and people would throw money at it. Very strange. But anyway, he did, he did his thing, and, and he did something wrong. And he noticed out of the corner of his eye that this lady was just looking at him very disapprovingly, like, how could you, barbarian? You know? And then he's at the video store, and he's looking through the videos, and she's watching him being like, those are terrible movies. You shouldn't be looking at those. She, he, he just noticed that she was disapproving of whatever he was doing. And this actually continued for about a month. So literally everywhere he went for a month, he would see this woman. She must have had, you know, like a GPS tracker on him. And so finally he's walking down the aisle of the store um, making a purchase, and he sees her, and he just says, that's it. And he turns around, and he runs over to her, and he says, would you like to go on a date? <laughs> and she says, uh, in the, I'd say the best translation is, she was visibly, you know, conflicted. 
And then she burst out, yes, you are highly preferred. <laughs> and the rest is history. They have uh, two daughters. Big P still lives in Gunma Prefecture uh, with his wife. Very, uh, almost, as though, almost as though he had this sort of magnetism about him, right? And she, she was caught in the orbit. And she, and she couldn't get away. She knew that he was disgusting. She knew that he had terrible uh, proclivities, desires, but she couldn't help herself. Wherever she was, she found herself in his orbit and was sucked in, caught up with Big P. Today's sermon is called being, is caught up in the kingdom. We're going to see a story of somebody who, like this woman in Japan, is caught up in Jesus' orbit. And he can't get away. And finally, just like this woman, he's confronted with the kingdom, confronted with Jesus, and he's forced to respond. Just as Big P saw this woman and said, would you like to date me? And everything, ah, she had to make a decision, had to, had to pull the trigger and said, yes, you are highly preferred. In the same way, Jesus confronts this man, and he's forced to respond to the kingdom. His name is Simon Peter, and he is the rock upon which the church was built. If the ushers have passed out your note sheets, let's stand and read the text together. If you have your note sheets, please stand and let's read together. This is... It says Peter 5, 1 to 11. It means Luke. But, but Peter, Peter's a part of the story. I, don't, I was halfway through my first cup of coffee when I wrote that, clearly. All right, uh, so Luke 5, 1 to 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's another way of saying Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down in the boat and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, uh, Probably close to uh, English, that word is like jefe, you know, chief. Jefe, we have toiled, uh, in Spanish, sorry. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, because you said it, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners, literally their business partners, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. There's so many fish. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, leave me, get out of my presence, for I'm a sinner, a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were business partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men, people. So when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You may be seated. Peter, 
Interestingly enough, this is not the first time we see Peter in Luke's gospel. If you uh, go back uh, just one page, just a few verses, you find out that the first time Jesus encounters, uh, or the first time Peter encounters Jesus is when Jesus is teaching in a synagogue on on a Sabbath and then walks into Peter's house because he's heard that Peter's mother-in-law is uh, sick and he goes in and he heals her. So Peter, in the sense that we get, uh, if you notice this begins, it begins in verse 1, so it was, uh, that's more like once, or kind of like uh, one of the things that kind of happened around this time in Jesus' ministry. That's kind of the, the introduction we're getting. Um, when, when Jesus uh, uh, meets Peter, Peter's like, he's kind of like in Jesus' circle, sort of. He's, he's amongst the people that Jesus is teaching, is ministering, is healing, um, and so, and so Peter, Peter's kind of got a sense that this guy is something. And then, of course, uh, Jesus heals his mother-in-law. So he's like, well, Jesus, maybe he's a big deal. Maybe he's the real deal. But he's still kind of an outsider looking in. And imagine, uh, Peter, in your note sheets, it says, uh, Peter, a biography. In all, pre- in all probability, Peter is, in 21st century terms, a, get this, blue-collar, Upwardly mobile, small business owner. No one thinks that's funny? I thought that would be cute because, you know, he's actually a peasant. But if you're trying to translate that into maybe what we're more familiar with in Orange County, that's the kind of guy Peter is. He works with his hands. He's a, he's, he's, it's not like he's, you know, a pastor or something. He, like, has a real job. He works for a living. The guy's kind of brawny, you know? He's not, uh, he's, he's not, me or Neil. Uh, Neil, by the way, has strep throat today, um, and he sends his regards. Uh, Neil has a very frail constitution, and you know he's a pa- so he's a pastor. You can't be you can't be a Peter if you're going to be a pastor. It just doesn't work. <laughs> so Peter is a blue collar, upwardly mobile small business owner. He has, he has a boat. He owns a boat. He has business partners. They've kind of gone in together, and maybe they, they, they work together in, in, the, in the lake, in the sea. It's, lake is a bad word because it's, so, it's a very large uh, body of water. And so they, they work together. They've purchased their own boats. These boats are not, it's not like a little, this is not a little rowboat. These things are significant. They can move, and they can carry a lot. Uh, these, are, these are not something that you just, you know, you can just go purchase from the Supabesha. Um, down the street. These are, these are significant uh, uh, craft. So he's, he's, he's probably bilingual, maybe even trilingual. He probably speaks Aramaic, probably speaks Greek. He would need to. The area where he's in uh, Galilee, there's a lot of Greek cities around, so he probably sells fish uh, to foreigners who live in the lands. He might even be trilingual, so Aramaic, uh, Greek, maybe even Hebrew. It's very likely that he reads I mean, Peter is not, he's not like at the bottom, right? But he's certainly not at the top. He's kind of that guy where everyone's sort of looking and being like, is he going to make it? Right? He's that dude that, um, you know, maybe if he works hard enough and he gets just enough luck, he's going to catapult into what we would think of as the middle class. Maybe if Peter works hard enough and gets lucky enough, his kids are going to have opportunities he never dreamed of. And so he works hard. You'll notice he works all night. In fact, the nets that would, would have been used, this is an interesting uh, fact. It kind of shows how little Jesus knows about fishing. The nets that were used by these, um, these fishermen were actually visible to the fish in daylight. But at night, the fish would not be able to see them. 
So normally, if you use these types of nets and you do it in the daytime, you're in trouble. But at night, ostensibly, they would work. It just so happens that this particular night was a bad one, and it didn't work. So Jesus, so it's very strange. I mean, if, if, Peter is, if Peter's on his game, and Jesus says, hey, let's go out and throw the nets down again, Peter's going to be like, yeah, um, clearly you're more of like you know, a pastor kind of guy. You don't really know how the world works. You're more of like a talker. I'm more of a doer. I know how fishing happens, and this isn't it. That's what Jesus, or that's what Peter ought to say to Jesus. Be like, uh, yeah, you clearly don't know what you're doing. Instead, what does Peter say? He says, Hefe, master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Hint, hint, Jesus, this isn't going to work. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, it's not as though Peter knows who Jesus is yet. He knows that Jesus is an itinerant, maybe prophet, healer, but he doesn't know that Jesus is anybody particularly special. And so what is it about your word that matters to Peter? Well, I suggest to you that it's because Peter is, he understands that Jesus has a certain status, and he owes Jesus something. Peter's a blue-collar, upwardly mobile, small business owner. Jesus is the doctor who just saved his mother-in-law. And in that culture, if somebody, and really similarly in our culture, if someone does you a solid, you repay them when they need something. And so, see, and so Peter probably sees himself in kind of a client-patron relationship. Jesus did him a solid. He took care of Peter's mother-in-law. And now Peter is, he's here. Uh, he, Jesus is like, oh yeah, I know you. Uh, Simon, get over here, man. I need, I need a spot to talk to the people. And Peter's like, ah. You notice that he's just done washing his nets. He's been up all night. Jesus is really imposing on Peter. He's kind of, he's needling him a little bit. He's like, Simon, hey, remember, yeah, I uh, remember how I saved your, your mother-in-law? That was really nice of me. Do you mind uh, maybe giving me a spot to talk? And Peter's like, oh, okay. So he sails out. His arms are hurt. The nets are finally clean. He's, and he's poor. I mean, he's not, they got nothing. So he's like, fine. And Jesus is sitting there talking. Peter's like, okay. I mean, maybe Peter's a little bit interested because, I mean, he did, after all, heal the mother-in-law. Maybe Peter's like, hmm, what's this guy talking about? But at the end of it, Peter's fi- he's sort of like you guys. When, when the, the, the preacher guy finishes, you're like, finally, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's go check out the Super Bowl. Uh, well, Peter's probably the same way. He's like, man, I can't wait to get to sleep. And then Jesus is like, hey, uh, let's go fishing. Oh. Okay, Jesus. Yes, Hefe. If that's what you want, it's just me, little old Peter, trying to make his way in the world. But I get it. Let's do it. Okay. If Jesus wants to fish, Jesus gets to fish. And of course, what happens is miraculous. It's, it's mind-boggling. By all accounts, the fish should be able to see these nets, should run away. But there's so many just pouring into the, the, the nets that they, the, they begin to break. So Peter's like, hey, James, John, get, get your guys and get over here. We, gotta, we got more. And then so many fish are in that both boats are beginning to sink. And how does, Jesus, or how does Peter respond? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. A couple of interesting things about that. 
First, uh, the, the change. In a couple of verses before, he says, Hefe, master, you know, chief, boss. That's how he first refers to Jesus. Now he refers to him as Lord. There's a change in the Greek there. The word for Lord is the same word that gets used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh. That's a big deal. It's kurios, if you're curious. It's, a, it's not the kind of word you would use unless something significant has transpired. Whatever Peter has just seen, he's moved from, okay, boss, yes, boss, to, oh, Lord, oh, agent of God, oh, angel, oh, someone that's really, really special, you, And why does he say, get out of here, depart from me? Part of it, I think, is that he recognizes that if Jesus has this power, then Jesus' words aren't just words, they're the words of God, that Jesus himself is a messenger, an agent from the Most High. And if that's the case, then he is holy, he is special. And a guy like Pete just doesn't belong with a guy like that. Interesting, he calls himself a sinful man. Luke, if you go through the gospel, usually has uh, two basic meanings for sinful man or sinner. A sinner can be someone who sins, right? Someone who commits a lot of sins. Someone who's aware of the fact, and this can go in your note sheets, someone who, uh, who knows they need to be redeemed, Someone who knows they are in need of redemption. That's one kind of use for the word sinner or sinful in Luke. Someone who knows they need to be redeemed. Another one is somebody who's outside, who's marginalized by the elites. Someone who's an outsider, someone who's marginalized by the elites, and usually the religious elites. The kind of the, the church-going folk, the folk who really know what God wants. Those, those are the sorts of people that these kinds of people, religious people, the pastor-type people, kind of keep at arm's length. Those are sinners in Luke's gospel. So it seems as though if that Peter is identifying himself with two classes: one, the kinds of people who know they need to be redeemed, because Peter's a fisherman, he probably doesn't go to synagogue every week. He probably doesn't make his trips to Jerusalem for the annual festivals. He's probably a little bit unclean because he deals with pagans all the time. He's a little bit icky. He's not the sort of person that the elites hang out with. He's a sinner. And he knows it. He knows that he needs to be redeemed. And when he recognizes that this isn't just a boss, this isn't just a jefe, this is kurios, this is Lord, that that guy and this guy don't belong together. Dropping down a little bit. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch they had just taken Astonished. It's funny, if you're reading in the Greek, it's like uh, the word that we get astonished. It's almost like it's in capitals and right at the beginning of the sentence. So sort of English would be kind of like, shocked! Everyone was at the catch of fish. Maybe a little bit scared. Maybe a little bit weirded out. 
What is this? And Luke's going to get a little mileage out of this shock uh, because later when it says, uh, from, on, from now on you will catch men in uh, verse 10. That's a, it's, a very, it's an interesting word. It's a word that normally means like hunted. You might think of the most dangerous game. In fact, it gets used in very much the same way as the most dangerous game. You guys remember the story? I think, Marilyn, did you teach this to me in, in junior high school? Great. I just want you to know the kind of literature they're, um, they're giving to children at Stony Brook Christian School. Uh, the most dangerous game, if you're not familiar with it, it's a story about um, a, a guy who finds himself, I guess, kind of like caught up in, in an island or something, and he meets this, this guy, and the guy has a big mansion, brings him in, they have dinner, and he's like, hey, um, yeah, so bad news for you. Uh, I'm actually, right after dinner, going to try and kill you. So you've got about three hours. Good luck. And then I'm going to catch you with my gun. Yeah, it's a really fun story. It, it, but good news, though, it turns out that uh, the guy who's being chased, he ends up turning the tables, and he uses, he's, he's kind of like, it's a little bit like the predator, if you've, where he turns and he comes up with machinations, and he, and he beats the guy who's chasing. So it has a happy ending. It's not, uh, this isn't, it's not so grotesque that Maryland can't teach it to 7th to and 8th graders. Uh, nevertheless, that idea of like the most dangerous game, I'm going to catch men, that's the word that's being used here. In the Old Testament, it's, it's used during the conquests where, uh, where Joshua is, is told to you know, go out and catch these, uh, these people and it's like capture them alive so they can be executed. I mean, this is, normally, this is not normally the word you'd use for fishing. And it, etymologically, it's connected to the word catch of fish, which is why this, uh, I like the New King James translation here, where a catch of fish and then catch of men. It's, uh, it shows the connection between those words. One last interesting thing in the text. Most of the uh, time that Jesus is talking um, he's using uh, plural verbs because he's talking to Peter and James and John. Maybe they have some, uh, some hired help with them. We don't know. Um, but then Jesus said to Simon, Peter, in verse uh, 10b, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Well, if we know the story, we know that, that Peter isn't the only one who becomes a disciple. Right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they too become disciples. Why aren't they going to be catchers of men? Why is it just Pete who gets this designation? So uh, in our church, we're, we're not usually allegorical readers of the text. The allegory, where, uh, where one th- we, we look at something in the text and we say, oh, well, that means something else. This is really fascinating... Uh, also, just for the record, you'll notice that I've been doing this in sermons lately where I've been doing a little detour into sort of history of theology type stuff. If you guys don't like that, you need to let me know because I've just been running with it and if it's a waste of your time, you've got to tell me. Um, but if you, if you like it, awesome. Anyway, St. Augustine, he has this really interesting passage where he's reflecting on, on, on this text and he says, you know, this is one of those moments where when we see boat, and when we see Jesus, and when we see fish, and when we see nets, we're not just talking about boats, and Jesus, and nets, and fish. 
We're talking about something much larger. In fact, St. Augustine says, this is Jesus enacting with his words a kind of symbolic universe. As soon as Jesus says, we're going to catch men, we're going to catch souls, he's talking about something in the future. He's talking about the church. In fact, these boats, these boats are symbols for what the church will be. These fish are the souls of human beings. These nets are the gospel of Christ, the good news that we have been redeemed. And when Jesus steps into these structures, these boats, it is as if the Holy Spirit has enlivened and empowered the church for God's service. We're not much of an allegorical reading church here. We, don't typic- we typically try to look at the context, the historical contract te- texts, and get a sense for what maybe the original intent of the text was. There are times, however, where these deeper significances are appropriate, especially when the text itself encourages us to think this way. And I want to suggest to you that when Jesus uses a symbolic notion of fishing, that he's opening up for us a new symbolic universe of this text. That in fact, yes, Peter is going to be a leader. Uh, He's going to be spearheading this mission by which the church saves so many souls. Ah! In your note sheets. Nautical symbolism. St. Augustine thinks of the boats in this story as symbols for the church. And then above that, grammar surprise. Interestingly, the verb Jesus uses in verse 10 is singular. He is talking specifically to Peter. That's a little bit strange. That's an interesting idea, though, for what we're doing here. Um, if this is in ca- if this it is the case that this text teaches us a little bit about what our purpose is in this body, Saint Augustine has a, a a little lesson for us. He says, "Well, if the church, if the boats are the church and the fish are the nets, and there's so many fish gathered into these boats that they're about to sink, what does that mean?" And Saint Augustine says, he says, "Well, when people are caught up." in the church, they start to weigh it down with their sinfulness. They start to make it as though the church itself is not able to deal with the load. And so he says, the church is the place where we make people different. Where we transform them. So that instead of taking the church to the bottom of the lake, Instead, the people themselves become new fishers that keep the, ch- uh, the church afloat. If that's helpful for you, I, I, I'm glad. So why? Why is it that Jesus gives this commission just to Peter and no one else? Well, I want to suggest to you that this is not a commission so much as this is biography. Jesus isn't telling Peter what he will be doing so much as he's telling Peter what's already been done to him. You see, Peter, you were just a fish 
swimming in the ocean. And somehow you found yourself in this net, caught up, brought onto the boat, saved, protected, given new life. Think about where you were, Peter. You were out breaking your back at night. You were confused. You you saw me. You weren't sure what to think of me. In fact, you were a little bit suspicious, Peter. And you don't know how it happened, but somehow you ended up here in the boat. And I'm telling you, Peter, it's because someone cast their net down. I cast my net out, Peter, and I caught you. This isn't what you will be doing, Peter. Well, it is. It's what's already happened to you, Peter. Peter, I caught you. I threw out my net, and somehow you got caught up in the orbit. I ended up at your mother-in-law's house. I stepped into your boat, and you can't get away from me. I got you. And now I want you to participate in that. Back to St. Augustine. If you haven't read the Confessions, I highly encourage you to do it. Uh, St. Uh, St. Augustine's conf- Is it Augustine or Augustine? Augustine? It's St. Augustine, Florida. But it's... It's both. Okay, all right. I, all right, fair enough. I, English, what a language. Oh, man. St. Augustine in the Confessions, he's, he, the whole way through the Confessions, so he'll tell something that happened in his life. It's sort of his autobiography, right? And he'll say, I was out sinning in this way. You know, I was partying too much. And then uh, he'll reflect on that, and he'll say, but God, while that was happening, you were doing this. And then he'll say, and I met this person who taught me so much, uh, Origen, I believe. And, and he, he taught me this, and, 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 and I wasn't sure what to make, it of at the, make of it at the time. But God, you were doing this. And as you go through the story, you realize that what St. Augustine is putting together is he's saying, he's saying, all around me, all the time, there was this net. And my entire life, I thought I was free. I thought I was swimming my own way. And all the time, the net was closing in. And was closing in. It was closing in. And then, at one moment, I realized I'd been caught. God, you've been after me all my life. And you caught me. And now, God, I'm going to be a part of the catching. When Jesus says, Peter, you are going to catch people, he's saying, Peter, you've been caught, and now you're going to do what I did for you, for others. And the response, the response is phenomenal. Uh, The next time you have the best day of your life at work, so you're, you're out there, you know, you're selling freezer doors, whatever it is that you do, and uh, you're, you're, you're talking to the guy on the phone, and he's like, yeah, um, I'm going to need about 12 times what you just said. In fact, just, just give me all of your inventory, and you know what? I'm going to pay double. Okay, when that happens to you, <laughs> immediately you need to do what Peter did, and leave everything, <laughs> just, and just, up. Oh, business is over, I'm done. What a strange response, yes? This is the best day of their life. It's the prosperity gospel. If you believe, you will be successful, right? Peter obeyed, he believed, and man, was he successful. And then he turns around, and he's like, yeah, the fishing gig is up, I'm out of here. I'm following you, Jesus. A very strange response. 
I'm telling you, when the windfall comes my way, I'm probably not going to hang it up immediately. (laughs) But it's telling, isn't it? It's telling because uh, Peter has, has recognized that something truly phenomenal is, being, is going on. He's been caught up in the kingdom. He's been swimming and swimming this way and that way. He thought he was in control of his life. He thought he knew what was going on. And suddenly he looked and he said, I've been caught up. I've been caught up in the kingdom. Little old me. I was upwardly mobile. I had a whole plan for how I was going to feed my family and give better opportunity to my kids or whatever. That's over. Now. I'm caught up in the kingdom. A new response is required. A new mission has opened up in front of me. Apparently, James and John, sons of Zebedee, see the same thing. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, forsook all, in the New King James, and followed him. Notice that they didn't, uh, what they should have done, they should have gone, sold all the fish, you know, put together like a, kind of a nest egg, Sold the boats, and th- no, they just leave it there. Because something huge is going on. Friends, I suggest to you that you too have been caught up in the kingdom. You too were swimming along, going this way and that, and now you have found yourselves in the boat, in the church. You too thought that you were in control of your destiny, that you were making your way, and somehow, some way, the gospel came to you and caught you up in the kingdom. And now you're owned, you're a part of the church. Now your mission, your commission is not the prosperity gospel. Your commission, your mission now is to fish with the king. Your mission now is to gather in and support and comfort those who are still outside the boat. Your mission is to throw your nets overboard. And you don't need to look and try and pick which fish you want. We've been talking about expanding the guest list. No, you throw your nets in and just see what comes up. You don't know who God has called. You don't know who's been swimming along just like you were and is going to find themselves in your nets. But you have been called to stand in the boat, throw your net overboard, and see what the catch brings in. Peter's story is our story. We too, we're out wandering. We too, we're we're like that, that lovely Japanese woman who just wasn't sure about Big P. And somehow she got caught up in his orbit Somehow she got sucked in. Somehow she found herself married to this man. She had a moment where response was demanded. Friends, this is your moment. The response is demanded. The king has said, you are going to catch people. Your response is, yes. I will join you, Master Hefe. No, I will join you, Lord. Kurios, agent of God, and as we confess, the second person of the Trinity the eternal son. Let's say yes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the story of Peter. The story of someone who just got caught up in your orbit. God, we see ourselves as people who have been caught in your orbit, caught up in your kingdom. God, empower us by your spirit. Empower this church. Let your spirit come into this church. Empower it. Enliven it to catch others as we have been caught up.
Father, you've been good to us. You've taken us from far off and brought us near. We thank you for that gift. And we ask now, God, that we can participate in bringing others close in too. In your son's name we pray, amen. about being caught up, about finding ourselves uh, in this place. The way we found ourselves in this place was when we heard the gospel. We heard that Jesus had come, that he had been crucified on our behalf, and that God saw fit. The grave was not powerful enough to hold him, and so God saw fit to raise him uh, to life everlasting, an image of where we too shall go. Uh, we're about to celebrate communion. We do this once a month. This is for those of you who have believed that Jesus is your Savior. Um, if you have, then please take, eat, uh, remember. If you haven't, feel free to pass the plate. But as we do this, friends, let's recall that we haven't been saved for us, we've been saved for a mission. We've been saved for a purpose that we too can tell the good news of this new covenant. That we too can memorialize this crucified one who is the net that captures the fish of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the new covenant in his blood, the covenant of grace. The covenant does not bind us to law, but instead frees us for your service. We thank you for the precious blood, the broken body of your son. We pray that we will be disciples worthy of his name. In it we pray, amen.